0: The concept is it's about engagement, right? Because like a thousand people truly identifying and truly kind of casting their lot in with you and saying, I want whatever it is that that you're a part of. So that to me is, is more interesting than just like a big number because, you know, you can, you can buy social media followers if you want to have 50,000 or a million followers or whatever, you can buy that tomorrow, but obviously there's no value in that. So the value is in cultivating the relationships and, you know, helping people over time.
1: You're listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Baloo and Michael Palmer.
2: Welcome to another episode of the podcast, The Business of Thought Leadership. I'm your co-host, Nikki Baloo And I'm the other co-host, Michael Palmer. And boy, are we thrilled and excited to share today's episode with you because our guest is none other than the living legend himself, New York Times best-selling author, Chris Gillibo. Hello, Chris. Hello, guys. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's great to have you on the show.
0: We awesome, are like, yeah.
2: we're super excited to have you on the show, my man. You awesome. know, one of the things that I really, really admire about you, Chris, is that you've had this daily practice of writing a thousand words a day since March 2008. Tell us about that. How'd you come to to take that on?
0: Yes. Well, you're very kind to say I'm a living legend. I don't think anybody's ever said that before. (laughs) So I'll have to to put that on my LinkedIn profile. Uh, As for a thousand words a day, well, you know, when I got started started blogging, I knew I wanted to write. I knew I eventually wanted to write a book, and I didn't know, like, what that process involved and everything associated with publishing. And I felt a little bit intimidated by it, and so I thought I'll just start with kind of a measurable goal that is not terribly ambitious. Like, most people can write a thousand words in any particular day, but my goal was just to kind of keep it going. And I'm really motivated by streaks and by, you know, specific you know, data-driven or matrix-driven kind of goals, like going to every country in the world. So a 1,000 words a day was great for me because I could look over time and say, okay, well, if you write a 1,000 words a day, you can write a book, you know, within a year, uh, if not sooner, as well as, you know, blog posts, essays, whatever you want to do. So that kind of, that practice just kind of helped guide me along.
2: That's fantastic, man. And you you've traveled to every country in the world. How cool is that? Like, what had you choose that as a target for yourself?
0: Yeah, thanks. Well, just kind of just kind of another, you know, crazy idea that was in my head and I've noticed like when you have a crazy idea in your head and you can't you can't stop thinking about it, you should probably do something about it. Like it's there for a reason. And so for me I love to travel. I spent 4 years living in West Africa as an aid worker and I just kept kept traveling to Asia and Europe and other places and before I knew it, you know, I ha- I had this goal of going to 100 countries and I got you know, started getting closer to that. I was still you know, maybe 27, 28 years old. And that's when I thought, like, let's set a real challenge. You know, let's go to every country in the world. And so, you know, I started started that challenge or that process around the same time I started the blog. So started writing, you know, daily in 2008 uh, on my 30th birthday and started pursuing that quest and then you know, fulfilled that quest five years later. But I'm still still writing now.
1: It's it's a remarkable audience that you've built and you're a multi New York Times bestselling author as well, which is remarkable in itself to be a New York Times bestselling author. You're two times New York Times bestselling author. I want to jump back to the beginning when you started the blog, when you started writing, you're traveling all over the world. Where you are today, was this the Mm. destination?
0: Yeah, this is a great question because uh, no, absolutely it wasn't the destination and there was no strategy for it, Um, it's been a very organic process. And you mentioned remarkable community as well. And that that to me is what I'm most excited about, you know, even more than being able to write books that people read. Um, Because I would say from the very beginning, everything I did was, was guided by community. And when I started writing on the blog, for example, like, yes, I was writing a thousand words a day, but it wasn't very good. Necessarily, and I wasn't necessarily sharing things that were really helpful or useful to people or really challenging people. And so, over time, I got a lot of feedback, and it was this like ongoing conversation. And that's what you know kind of led me to maybe write better books or to do something that that made more of a difference in people's lives. So, I had no idea what was going to happen. Uh, initial goals were very small. It was like, well, I'd love to have like a small community. I'd love to have like a thousand readers or something. And, you know, fortunately I kind of stuck with it. And over time, like as you pursue one goal, you tend to, you know, have a bigger vision for something else. And so it's just been every day, every week, every month since then.
1: So that first milestone, though, was a thousand people in your initial audience reading your blog.
0: Yep, exactly. My very first post on the blog, it said something like defining the goals of com, you know, would love it if I had 1000 subscribers, because to me at that time, that seemed like an overwhelming, you know, number, it just seemed like, you know, a huge kind of thing.
1: And what was the time frame to get from from that initial aspiration to 1000?
0: Uh, I think like the first 1000 subscribers were maybe a, a few months or something. So obviously, it happened you know, sooner than I expected, but it also, it wasn't just about the number of people that, on, that are on my email list. You know, it was like a thousand engaged people. Uh, I had read this very popular essay that lots of listeners are probably familiar with 1000 true fans yep. uh, by Kevin Kelly. And I love this idea. Like it was a thousand people, not just that, you know, subscribe to your newsletter and getting that along with a hundred other emails they get every day, but a thousand people who actually care. So I don't know exactly, you know, at what point that kicked in.
2: That's amazing. You know, that, uh, that particular post is one that Michael and I quote all the time mm-hmm. in our live yeah. events.
0: It's fantastic. It, it,
2: it is. Uh, it, you know um, I, mean, I should probably let Michael tell this, but I love telling it, so I'll start and he'll probably chime in in a minute, that uh, Michael's been fascinated with the studying bands. And one mm-hmm. thing he discovered about bands is that if a band has a thousand true fans, that band yep. is a six figure a year band. They're going yep. to make at least a hundred grand a year, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah,
1: that is Kevin Kelly's basic principle in the thousand fans. I didn't come up with that, but what I've been looking at around uh, bands is, you know, sometimes it takes fifty years to get to that thousand, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it's all about persevering and and sticking to it. I watched a great documentary called Iron Man, and it's not the cartoon uh, Marvel <laughs> Iron Man. It's actually a, a strength. What did he call it? It was like a uh, bodybuilding rock. Bodybuilding rock, which is is just (laughs) crazy crazy. in itself. But 50 years later, he he got success at it, and that was his passion. And he did it, and he kept to it, and 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 it ended up. So it's not a matter of if; it's really a matter of of uh, uh, of just sticking to it, and when it's going to happen, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I like that the, the concept is it's about engagement, right? Because if you do like a hundred city tour as a band, you can probably have more than a thousand people come to that, but you're not necessarily successful. So the aspect of like a thousand people truly identifying and truly kind of casting their lot in with you and saying, I want whatever it is that, that you're a part of. So that to me is is more interesting than just like a big number because, you know, you can, you can buy social media followers. If you want to have 50,000 or a million followers or whatever, you can buy that tomorrow. But obviously there's no value in mm. that. So the value is in cultivating the relationships and, you know, helping people over time.
2: That's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's funny, as as you were sharing this with us, I was kind of looking at Michael going, yeah, we've we got goals like that. We want to have like, you know, a thousand, ten thousand, a hundred thousand subscribers. I think we've gone over the thousand mark right now, but uh,
0: great. It,
2: it's fantastic to be able to, to get to those additional milestones. The next question I have for you, Chris, you know, the name of this podcast is The Business of Thought Leadership. Uh-huh. You're clearly a thought leader and one who's got some thoughts that I happen to really like, and I'm, I'm following some of your work, and I'm going to be reading all your books in the next little while. I love the title of your latest one, Born for This. I think that's fantastic. But could you just explain for our listener— how you've taken your thought leadership and commercialized it. And then perhaps give our listeners some advice on things they could do to commercialize their own thought leadership.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I am an entrepreneur. You know, I'm I'm interested in sharing with as many people as possible, and I I do a lot of work for free. Um, But of course, you know, I'm pro pro business as well. So uh, something that that helped a lot with me is when, when I first started doing that writing and I was sharing about travel and my own history of starting different businesses and things. I noticed that there was this subset of people who were really interested in all of the details and the logistics and the behind the scenes. And that's the kind of sh- stuff that I wasn't necessarily sharing all the time on the blog because lots of people just didn't care. But for those who did care, I realized I, I can kind of you know g- go off on a different direction here and create, you know, products and resources and services for those people and kind of serve that market while at the same time, you know, kind of reaching potentially a larger number of people with all of the free content. So uh, one of the things I did, I, I wrote a lot about travel hacking. I was able to, to go to all these different countries without spending a lot of money uh, using frequent flyer miles and other strategies. And so I created a service called Travel Hacking Cartel, uh, which was a membership site. And, and we've had more than 20,000 people go through that program. And, you know, it's the kind of, Thing where if you if you are are self sufficient and you want to go and find all this information on your own, you can totally do that. But you know our service will also just do it for you, and you pay a small amount each month, and you know we'll make it very easy. So that's that's kind of an example of one of the projects I've created around. Like I'm sharing ideas, and the ideas are free. I'm not really holding anything back. But at the same time, like if you want more, if you want to, or maybe have it done for you or whatever, then that's the service. So the takeaway I think for people is pay attention to what people are asking you about And, you know, as you share different things, or even if you're not sharing online, or even if you don't have a podcast or a blog, just think about your friends and your social circle. What do they ask you about? What do they look to you for answers or experience in? What do they see you as an authority? Because there's probably something there that can be commercialized. It's like, if they're asking you the same questions all the time, if you're the go-to person for topic X, then that's kind of your answer of, of how you delve into the commercialization aspect. And, you know, as to what you do with it, there's all kinds of different avenues and strategies. You can make a product, you can have a service, you can start a website, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that's the best you know, philosophical direction to go in.
2: And as far as you're concerned, right? I'm, I know you write books and you do speaking engagements. What are some mm-hmm. of the other ways in which you've commercialized? I mean, you mentioned this, um, no. the cult of travel cult travel cartel yeah Car- cartel yeah yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, travel cartel i love that that's <laughs> a membership site makes me think that's of the, a, 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 the ep, uh, of the tv series narcos right now when you say the word cartel right, right. but but that's powerful right it's a membership sure, site what, what are some of the other thoughts that you've had in terms of commercializing your
0: message and your reach sure sure yeah i haven't started a cult yet but maybe that, that'll come <laughs> maybe that's next, next. Um, yeah so, I mean, I actually, I am fortunate in that I, I, I do fairly well as an author, like writing books for me is not, um, a lot, a lot of authors kind of write books as a, you know, business card for something else, or the book is like a lead generation for some other program. But I actually really, really like write, writing books and, and like, I have really kind of focused on that a lot of built relationships with my publishers, not just in the U S and Canada, but all over the world. Um, I mean, my books are in in lots of different languages. And so I tried to like support that process and support that ecosystem. So probably about half of my revenue comes through through traditional publishing. And the other half is through like like digital products and services like the Travel Hacking Cartel. Um, I had a business called Unconventional Guides for a while, which I still have, but I haven't really been focusing on it very much. So right now it's bringing a little bit of passive income, which is nice, Um, but I'm kind of gearing up to do another sort of membership site, another thing that's, that's focused on helping people start a side hustle, uh, start, start some kind of business without necessarily quitting their job. So that's my next focus. But I would say for the past 10 years, in one way or another, you know, I've been creating products, services, different offers uh, to help people with entrepreneurship or with travel or both
1: you know, really resonates a couple of things that you have said. And the big word that stands out is relationship. You build relationships Mm -hmm. with your community. You're building relationships with your partners, like publishers. You know, there's a lot of people you could be building relationships with. How do you decide where you're going to put your time and energy?
0: Yeah. I don't know if I've been super tactical about it. I've I've just... um, I wrote a blog post a long time ago for my good friends at copyblogger.com. And it, it was something about how like preaching to the choir is a good thing. You know, you often hear like, oh, you're just preaching to the choir. Like you have to expand your audience. For me, I've been very much focused on, okay, I, I have this message. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not necessarily trying to convince anybody of anything. Uh, but I do think I'm offering something that some people identify with. And so my focus has been like, you know, value essentially. It's, it's one of these overused business words, but value just means helping people. And so I have tried to be helpful and I have tried to help people see the world. I've tried to help them start little businesses or bigger businesses or, Otherwise, you know, have the courage to do something that they really believe in. And that's kind of like, you know, freely available for the most part. Like I don't do consulting, I don't do coaching, but anybody can email me and I'm happy to do that. Um, Last year, I did 40 free events all over North America. Uh, Next year, I'm gonna do the same same thing. So I just love, you know, it's not super tactical, as I said, it's not like super strategic. There's not like a master plan behind all of this. My master plan is I'm really motivated to create, I feel happy when I'm making things, you know writing, you know publishing books, doing events or whatever. and I, I just want to keep doing that as much as I can.
1: That's, that's fantastic. And it's the, the value. The other word I was going to say was value. You're, you're super valuable to your community, which is a big part of your success. Now, part of this podcast is really about inspiration and inspiring our listeners to, mm. to, to do the great things that they were born to, to make and do in their lives. What, and, and part of what I really love hearing is those lucky breaks, you know, where you, mm. it's like, whoa, that just happened. What, what
0: yep. what's been some of yours? Yeah, um, I think that's great, too, because you mentioned persistence is important, and I do agree, but I think we've all, like, had these lucky breaks. Uh, I'm going to go back, like, my lucky break, like, long before publishing a blog or anything. Um, Let's see. I I mean, I I mentioned those years I spent in West Africa. That was age 22 to 26. That was very, very formative for me, and I I had no idea that – what, like some of the stuff that was happening was very unusual. At the time, it felt normal. Like I was in Liberia, I was in Sierra Leone right after these very long wow. civil wars there. So my lucky break was like I went, you know, to be part of this organization, didn't have a lot of skills. I mean I had an undergraduate degree in sociology, but that doesn't necessarily qualify you, you know, for much and and ended up like working with the host governments that we were partnering with and and got a lot of experience at a young age basically. So that's a that's a lucky break that you know I continue to think about all the time. And then the other lucky break is I was a terrible employee. I was not good at working for anybody. So I had to from a young age, basically from 19, I had to kind to find a way to make my own living and that's why i've been an entrepreneur since then and been completely self-employed basically my entire adult life and so i, I obviously I had to make a choice like in a series of choices and i had to make that happen but uh, I, I consider it really fortunate that I knew from a young age I was not good at working for other people because that then has enabled so much other stuff to happen. And then, you know, of course, when I started writing the blog, like I'm very grateful for people who spread the message or told other people about it and allowed it to grow uh, using that Kevin Kelly method because that that is the, the whole principle behind whatever success has happened. There wasn't any advertising. I mean, I got some media stuff in the beginning, but I would say that media was not what grew my audience. It was word of mouth and referral. So all those things I consider very fortunate.
2: That's fantastic. You know, when you said that you found at a young age that you basically were unemployable, Michael yeah. and I both kind of laughed on the side because we uh-huh. were just having lunch with somebody where we, we had that very discussion. All of us were entrepreneurs. Who were saying, the reason we're yeah. entrepreneurs is because we're all unemployable. Damaged yeah, exactly. goods. We're damaged goods. <laughs> That's it.
1: Which uh-huh. are the best goods in the market. That's
2: right.
0: right. So own that, you know, exactly. you should own 110%. that if you have, because like, you know, we all have certain skills, of course, that have, have allowed us to succeed, and probably a lot of the listeners too. But at the same time, like if I was to try to get a job, like I have no idea what uh, what I'd be qualified to do, and and if I'd even do a good job for that person or that company. So I'm I'm glad I'm doing what I'm doing.
2: Yeah, I, I totally get that, and I think the folks who listen to this podcast are in the same boat. These are people who have a gift inside them. They've got a passion to make a difference. And what we want to inspire them to do is to make the difference they were born to make. And by having great guests like you on the show, we get to do that. So it's a lot of fun. Awesome. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you is, how did you come up with the initial idea to write your, your first book? how did you come up with the topic? Mm-hmm. And, and and what had it resonate so powerfully in the marketplace and with your listenership?
0: Are you yeah, well, Excuse
2: first,
0: me. First book was uh, The Art of Nonconformity. And I actually, I knew I wanted to write a book before I wanted to write a blog. I mean, for me, it was, I guess I grew up reading books and books, you know, changed my life and were very influential to me. So when I thought about being a writer, I always thought about writing books. And, and that first book was kind of a manifesto. It was kind of you know, looking back at this unconventional life that I've had to that point of being unemployable, you know, of that experience overseas of beginning this quest, you know, to go to every country in the world and just putting that together and offering hopefully not just a biography of me because, you know, who cares about that, but some kind of guidepost or roadmap for readers. And again, not not in telling them what to do, but maybe providing them with some viable alternatives or at least showing them, like, there's other people in the world who – think the way that you do who see the world in the way that you are if you're unemployable you're not the only one or if you're a misfit or an introvert or you know whatever the thing is so for me it was very much about like affirmation first of all and then second of all practical tools and you know somehow i kind of put that all together and we called it the art of Nonconformity, which was the same title as the blog and then you know that book came out and i did a a tour to every state in the us and to every province in canada And, you know, all along the way, I'm just kind of, you know, telling the story and and recruiting readers. And, and a lot of those people are still with me now, what, seven or eight years later, which, you know, is is fantastic and wonderful.
1: That's great. What, what, tell us about that tour, because that's really interesting. I mean, you went all over the, all over North America. How did you, how did you even start about going about that?
0: Well, it was, it was kind of like the crazy idea to go to every country in the world. It was like, I, you know, the first book is coming out. like, this is a big thing for me. I'm really excited and I want to do a tour and, because that's what I do. I travel, like I'm going to every country in the world. So, you know, why not go and meet readers? And then my publisher wasn't very excited about it because they were kind of like, well, we don't have money, you know, for that. Like, maybe you can do an event in New York and maybe in your hometown of Portland. And I was like, well, that's great. But you know, I have readers like all over the place and they're not just concentrated in these two cities. So eventually I was like, I'm going to do my own tour. I'm going to call it the unconventional book tour. I'm going to work together with my readers, you know, to find venues, bookstores, co-working spaces, you know, incubators, whatever, like wherever can host us. And uh, at some point I was like, well, I have to go big because I'm, you know, the whole story behind my narrative is going to every country in the world. So Let's go to every state. And then once I have every state, I'm like, well, I have a lot of of people up your way in Canada, so let's not leave them out. Let's go to every province. So that's kind of how it it all came to be. And I think as audacious as it was, I think the story really helped it along because people saw that it wasn't the publisher doing it. It wasn't some corporate strategy. Uh, Nobody was funding it. Like I was just kind of paying for it as I went along. And that kind of helped inspire a lot of loyalty and not just loyalty to me, but like at each of these events, people would meet other people. And that was great because like, then I'd go away, but they're still connected to some of those people in that city. And and that has also helped you know, just kind of further the message of nonconformity, you know, however people choose to interpret it.
2: Wow. I love that. That's just a beautiful story. And you know what? I think uh, the sequel to that book ought to be The Art of Audacity, because you certainly were <laughs> audacious in making all this happen. It was fun, though. It was fun. Yeah, it sounds like it. I'd really like to hear
1: about World Domination Summit. I think that's sure. a uh, you know it's an interesting program you've got running. Tell, tell us about it.
0: Yep. Uh, so WDS, World Domination Summit, uh, wasn't actually began in two thousand and eleven as an extension of that book tour. Uh, I I met really interesting people at lots of different stops and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be great if we could gather people, you know, not just, you know, from Toronto, not just from Tampa or wherever, but let's bring people from all over the world, you know, to one place to kind of share ideas and connect one another. And so working with a small team here in Portland, Oregon, we put that event on in 2011. It went really well. And so we decided, okay, we'll keep doing it, you know, 2012 and beyond. So now every summer... Uh, usually in July, we have several thousand people who come and we work with you know Portland's largest theaters. We work with lots of different venues and spaces all over town. Uh, we have workshops, we have meetups, we have keynotes, lots of different adventures. We've set several Guinness World Records. So we try to embrace these values of community, adventure, and service, uh, and we operate the event as a, as a not-for-profit with all the proceeds going to a, a foundation. So uh, it's something that has continued to grow, as I said, and I really, really enjoy doing that too.
1: Wow. You, 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 you create, you build, you create, you build, and I can really see this layering that you've, you've created through your, your career here as, as a thought leader. I, I'm imagining you're not in some basement somewhere all by yourself doing it all yourself, and we like to talk about community and working with other people. Who have been sure. the influences for you in helping you put all of this stuff together?
0: Sure, sure. Well, you know, in a lot of ways, I I I am kind of in a little bit of a cave, you know, working on some stuff because I am pretty introverted and and I I kind of keep to myself. And I wouldn't be able to you know write books and things if I didn't kind of shut myself off for a while. So I do a lot of that on my own. But for things like the event, of course, like uh, you know, very fortunate to have a a great group of of other volunteers who work on that, and that has just kind of come through the event basically. So we started with you know five people, and uh, now there's a core team of of twelve. Of us, But then when we actually put on the event, there's more than 100 local volunteers, you know, that come together to make that happen. So uh, otherwise, in terms of like partnerships, uh, I'm, I'm friends with lots of other authors, uh, lots of people that I admired when I was kind of coming up, uh, people like Gretchen Rubin or Jonathan Fields, uh, Seth Godin, you know, lot, lots of folks that, you know, uh, those people have been very helpful to me. They, they've kind of guided me along the way. And uh, I pretty much found that just about everybody is very approachable. And it's not just now, like now that I'm an author, but even from the very beginning, I felt that I could write to somebody and they would usually write me back. And it's just a good experience.
2: That's Thank fantastic. You. So Chris, who are some of the thought leaders whose work you follow right now? Who's mm. Top of mind for you. Who influences uh, you today?
0: Yeah. Great, great, great question. Um, I just mentioned two of them, uh, Jonathan Fields. Uh, wonderful guy. I don't know if you've had him on the podcast or not, but he's great. Not yet, but we'll get so, him. <laughs> yeah, you should get him. His new book just out just out this week is called uh, How to Live a Good Life. He's inspired me a lot. He's in New York City. And I also mentioned Gretchen. Uh, I've, I've been learning about the podcast world as well, so you guys are far ahead of me. Uh, but I'll be starting my own podcast in a few months, so I've kind of been like investigating. Okay, you got your first two guests, world? buddy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm there finally you <laughs> catching up to the world of uh, you know, 20, 20, 2005 or something, but... Uh, I'm excited about about that so so Gretchen also um, Gretchen Rubin has the happier podcast which has you know a, a Jillion downloads a week and and she's been very very uh, very helpful to me. So I'm paying attention to her and some of the other uh, podcasts on Slate, the whole Slate network uh, have been good. So otherwise, like thought leaders, like I understand the show's focused on thought leaders. So that's definitely a lot of people that I've learned from, but I would also just kind of point it back to my community and say that I probably learn the most just from people in my community who aren't necessarily known, but you know, they're, they're responding to my posts, they're sending emails. You know, I see them at all the different events or book tour stops and they really kind of inspire me to, to do what I, do and, and go on to
2: the next thing. I love it. That's absolutely fantastic. One of the things we like to do to close out the show is to ask our guest for their three expert action steps. What are the three mm-hmm. things that you want to leave the listener with so that he or she can take action on them right away in order okay. to make a difference in terms of the difference they want to make in the world that they were born to make is kind of our, our trademark tagline that we okay. use.
0: Yeah, I like it. I uh, say, so first thing is, uh, I'm a big fan of asking why, and uh, you know, I've, from a young age, always been asking like, why do we do this? Like, even in a, in a kind of rebellious way, like, why am I expected to do this? Why should I, you know, go to school and complete these requirements? Why do I have to work this kind of job and do this sort of thing? And so, even if it's not rebellious, just just asking questions of yourself, even like, what do I want to do? Why do I want to do that? And if you understand your why, I feel like you know, figuring out the how is not that difficult. Second thing I I mentioned earlier, you know, you said, why did you go to every country in the world? I had a crazy idea in my head. So for everybody out there listening, if you've ever had a crazy idea in your head, well, sometimes you have ideas and they're just bad ideas. So if you have an idea and you don't think about it the next day, or like a week later, you're like, yeah, that was a bad idea, that's fine. But if you have an idea and it just won't leave you alone, you know, for months, you just kind of have this thing and you think it's it's audacious, as you said, or something else, like there probably is a reason why you have it. So follow up on that crazy idea. That's number two. And just very practical. Like I know there's a lot of entrepreneurs and self-employed people listening, but you know, for the employees, I don't necessarily think everybody should quit their job. Like, I think it's totally possible to live a very fulfilled life, you know, working in the structure of an organization or the right kind of company. But I do think everyone should learn to think entrepreneurially. And uh, one great way to do that is by having some kind of side hustle. And I've seen that even people who don't want to, you know, quit their job and, and be self-employed totally, uh, they really love like having some other project and it gives them confidence, it gives them security. And of course, it also brings in additional income, which is great. So, so there you go. So ask why. Pay attention to your crazy ideas and start a side hustle.
2: I love all three. And listen, what have you got going on right now that you'd really like to promote to the listenership here?
0: (laughs) I don't have anything going on to promote. I'm I'm happy to to connect with people however they want to connect. And you know, I've got books and things, but my my website's ChrisGillibo.com or I'm Chris on all the social networks, and I don't really have anything to sell.
2: Okay. Well, you know what? I'm going to do some promoting for you if that's okay. Okay. Listener, go. go grab any one of Chris's books. You'll be glad you did. This man is an unconventional, brilliant thinker, and he's going to open up your world to what's possible for you as a thought leader, as an entrepreneur, as someone who is striving to make the difference you were born to make. So there you have it. Thank you. appreciate that. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. My pleasure. It's been a total honor having you here on the show, Chris. And we'd love to have you back. And listen, Michael and I are available to be your guests uh, number one and two when you get your own podcast launched. Uh Awesome. Thank you so much. I hope to see you guys sometime. Absolutely. You bet, Chris. Thank you so much. That is another episode of the
1: Business of Thought Leadership podcast. You can find all of the show notes. And of course, we'll have links to Chris's website and his personal profiles at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Please leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love to know what you think. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Business of Thought Leadership with Nikki Ballou and Michael Palmer. For more information and to download the resources mentioned in this episode, please visit us at thebusinessofthoughtleadership.com. Thank you for listening.